The following program is being brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon, and welcome to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Over the next hour, you'll learn how to see your true self in the midst of life's twists and turns. You'll be challenged to think outside of the box when it comes to the mysteries of life. Now, here's your host, Andrea Matthews. Good afternoon, and welcome to the Authentic Living Show. You know, the concept of heaven has been distorted with so many of our fantasies about avoidance of struggle, suffering, and pain. And since most of us can't imagine a place on earth in which there's no struggle, suffering, or pain, we've put heaven up there, out there, down there, anywhere but here on planet earth. What you're about to learn about heaven will change your thinking on this entirely. Heaven is not a place. It's not out there, it's not up there, it's not down there, and it isn't simply about a place we go after we die. It's right here, right now. But then, it isn't about avoidance of suffering either. So today, we're going to be talking a little bit more. We've talked the past two weeks about um, the possibility of inhabiting heaven now. We learned about the codes for our behavior that are supposed to help us become good people. Of course, there's also codes that are used on the street to help people become, quote-unquote, bad people. But uh, and, and, and in the book, Inhabiting Heaven Now, we learn about those as well. But uh, we also learned last week about something about how we might overcome shame. Both of those two things, those codes and that shame, are things that prohibit our entrance into the door of our home in heaven right now. So we'll be talking more about uh, how to do that during our show today. And you'll hear our clip for this upcoming Super Bowl Sunday in which Oprah interviews one of the greatest of American baseball basketball coaches in history, NBA championship coach Phil Jackson, as he discusses both his coaching philosophy and his own battle with cancer. So you want to be here for those clips today. Okay, so, all right, what is what we're going to talk about today is a little different from what you've heard about heaven. What we thought about heaven is that it's a place, A, it's a place, it's a real place, and it exists somewhere else besides here on planet Earth. What we understand about life here on planet Earth is that life is all about suffering. It's about learning lessons, if, if we think of it that way. Um, you know, some people say life's a bitch and then you die. So there's all kinds of concepts about what it is that heaven really is all about. I mean, excuse me, about what living here on planet Earth really is all about. And if you've been listening to this show for very long, you know that what I believe we're here doing is a, we're having this grand experience. And by grand, I don't necessarily mean wonderful, because it's not all wonderful, but I do mean huge. It's a huge, magnificent, universe, universe-changing experience that we're having. And it has everything to do with this march through duality that we're doing here on planet Earth. So what that means is that once upon a time, 
in the metaphorical, repeat that word, metaphorical Garden of Eden, uh, what happened was that we uh, began to develop an understanding of ourselves as separate from the divine. When we ate of that metaphorical tree of knowledge, it was according to Charles Fillmore, the author of the Metaphysical Bible Dictionary, a, an, an incorporation of a thought. The trees represented thoughts. So for the first time in the universe, not only was form created, but now thought was created too. But prior to that, all was formless and void. So there was no, it was, we've, we lit now, we're live, living in a world in which thought was possible. And the thought that we chose to incorporate into the body mind was the thought of the separation between good and evil. We decided that God was good and man was evil. Ergo, there was a big chasm between God and man. We were now divorced from God. We could not participate in the God, uh, that we are. And we could no longer be, uh, uh, formless we were now form so we equated those two things formlessness is also good form is bad body became bad body became the thing that makes us sin body became the thing that gets sick and dies body became the, a problem so when that happened what what went on was that um it, it it's an informative of our journey what happened there was that we took on a new identity. We took on a new way of looking at ourselves. Prior to that, it's my belief that we were participants in the creative effort. We were Elohim. Um, Elohim is a plural God, gods. And so we were a part of that. And we took on form. And then spirit breathed into our body its spirit. And then we were given the image of the divine. And uh, so we, all of that was supposed to take place. As form, we were being given the image of God. We were to live in spirit, though in form. And we also were presented these two possible thoughts. One was of the possibility of separation from the divine. The other was life with the divine. L life and the divine are synonymous terms there. So we chose this one. And why did we do that? Well, because... In order for us to get to a place where we can unite form with formlessness, we have to walk through the journey of form, of form, which says, gee, I'm form now. Can I, can I live as form separate from the divine? Can I separate myself out? It's as if uh, a piece of artwork that was created could say, okay, now I'm separate from my creator. I have a voice of my own. I can do my own thing. And, so, it was no longer associated with the Creator. That's what we did. But that journey was not bad. It was not evil. We didn't sin. We did that as a part of the journey to unite form with formlessness. Because in order for us to unite form with formlessness, form has to ask and answer every question that is related to the possibilities inherent in form. So, can form live separately from the divine? And if it can, what does that mean? How does it get interpreted? What does that mean about good and evil? And so that's what we've been living out, that great experiment and experience with this whole concept of duality. What we're getting closer and closer to as time goes by is the recognition that, no, indeed, we're not separate from the divine. We never have been and we never will be. And now we're beginning through quantum physics to understand that form is not 
separate from formlessness. Form and formless, form and formlessness are the same thing. One's just uh, one's just runs deeper than the other, and our spirituality runs deeper than our, our subjective emotional thinking uh, that is related to the tree of knowledge of good and evil, that is related to duality. So in this world where thought can exist and can come up with ideas that are separate, that make us identify as separate from the divine, we live as if that's true. And we have to do that in order to answer all those questions that have to be answered. Once we get through and form and formlessness are united, Again, in a grand marriage, a heragamos, where we are one with the divine again as form, then form and formlessness will know themselves both as, as divine and form's, form's uh, essence will be known to us. It will no longer be uh, a mystery to us that we can be formless and form at the same time. So this whole journey, as I see it, is not about good and evil. It has nothing to do with sin. It has nothing to do with forgiveness. It has nothing to do with any of that. All of that is part of the experimentation that has to do with coming to know ourselves as divine beings. That has to do with what is this thing of duality. We have to understand form, form as completely separate from the divine before we can understand that it's fully united with the divine. In the same way that we might have to marry Mr. or Miss Wrong several times before we get it that, yeah, we need somebody that knows how to love. That's how it is here for us. We're experimenting with all the things that aren't true before we can really come to what is true. And that's part of the process. Once we have done that brave, brave, brave deed, what will happen is the universe will evolve to take on form and formlessness simultaneously. And the universe will have been, have created a whole new thing that started back when form began we are a part of that creative process in which ultimately form will be united with formlessness in its own understanding. It already is without our understanding, but it will be in our own understanding. And when that happens, then the universe will change. The entire universe will change to accept that reality. That's what we're a part of. And it's huge and it's brave and it's glorious. It's magnificent. So instead of thinking in terms of what's, how where's our sin and the whole concept of original sin we have to think about this on a whole new level and that also uh, sort of transitions segues into the idea of heaven because heaven is within us heaven is that breath that was breathed into us when we were created heaven is the the kingdom of god the kingdom of heaven um, and lots of different religions talk about what that is to have to have that inner essence of who we are actually are sort of turned on um, it's kind of turned off right now for most of us but we can turn that thing on and when we do we live in heaven um, but now I want to say this uh, there's some passages in the New Testament of the Bible that talk about what heaven is and isn't where Jesus literally tells us listen this is what the kingdom of heaven is like I mean, he, several times he says, the kingdom of heaven is like, the kingdom of God is like. He does that several times, and he's doing that to tell us what it's really like. Uh, we don't seem to hear him very well, and he does end some of his parables with, he who has ears, let him listen. That is always the most important line in his statements. And the reason I'm going to be talking about what Jesus said is because um, he, he's put it in parables that were not as always as clear. 
and because those statements have been, um, in my view, mistranslated and misinterpreted. Because if we look at the root language of what the words he used meant, they don't mean what we thought they meant. Uh, they don't mean that uh, there's a separate place for those who are good to go after they die and another separate place for those who are bad to go after they die. Um, these concepts of heaven and hell is a, the ultimacy uh, of the duality trans state in which we live. So not only do we have to live in this state in which we feel separate from the divine, but if we're good enough or do the right ritual or pray the right prayer, then we get to go and be one with the divine. But if we're not, uh-oh, we have to go to this place where we're eternally, not just, not just sometimes, not just temporarily, but eternally separate from the divine. Wow. That's pretty huge. But that's how we've interpreted it. And I disagree entirely with that interpretation. But I didn't come to this on my own. I came to this by studying the root language in the Bible. So we're going to talk a lot about that root, root language as we go through this process today because it's, it changes our perception of what is true and what is false about the kingdom of heaven very deeply. Um, and uh, in, in, um, in our understanding of what heaven means, what we've, what we've done is we've said, um, well, Heaven is described in Revelations as a place where the streets are paved with gold and there are walls that uh, have all these jewels in them and um, there's a tree of life right in the center of the street which also has a river running through it which is an interesting concept. It's in the street. The river's running through it. So how can it be a street and a river at the same time? It's hard to conceptualize that. And the reason it is is because those are metaphors. They're not literal. They're not meant to be translated literally. Um, and so we, when, we, when we literalize those concepts, we separate ourselves still further from our own divine nature. So if I have the image of God in me, then that means that I am also God. In fact, that's one of the things Jesus said. Do you not, do your scriptures not tell you that you are God's? And when he says that, he's actually quoting scripture that the Pharisees uh, knew about. That was from their old scriptures. And we find it in our, in Psalms, in uh, the Tanakh of the Hebrew Bible and in, in the uh, Old Testament of the Christian Bible that it, it actually literally says, I said, you are God's. You are the sons of the most high. And so when we, when, but we don't pay much, I haven't yet heard a sermon on that you are gods. Uh, we don't pay much attention to that. We pay attention more to um, sin and uh, what we should do about sin and how we should love other people. That idea that we should love, uh, I want to make a little segue into that right here. The idea that we should love is a faulty concept. You can't put should and love in the same sentence. They're oxymorons. Okay, when you tell yourself you should love someone, you've already lost the love. <laughs> it's not about shoulding on yourself. Love is a natural part of who we are at our deepest essence because we are the image of the divine and the divine is love. So we have a very natural ability to love other people. In fact, the very fact that we are incensed and hold grudges is evidence of our love for other people. Because what that says is that I love them so much and I'm holding this hurt because I love them so much. When we say I hate somebody, what we're really saying is I hate them so much that they still have the power to wound me. I mean, excuse me, I love them so much that they still have the power to wound me. So 
when we're when we're we seem to be sinning when we hate we seem to be not loving and that is also a sin but actually what's really going on is a, a form of love that has been wounded that has been hurt and wants to sort of back away because guess what we also love ourselves so that love is natural it's in us and it will never go away we can distort how we understand it but it's in us now when we talk about 1 Corinthians 13 the chapter in the in the New Testament of the Bible that talks about um all the different definitions of love love is kind love is patient love is enduring that passage seems to be telling us how we should love I don't translate it that way. I translate it to be telling us how we are loved. And not just how we are loved, but how we are love. How we are love. That is who we are. It's kind of like, you know, I talk to clients all the time who tell me that they're with a partner or they were parented by people who didn't really have a very a big capacity to be aware of their own love for people. And though, so they didn't act very kind or loving and sometimes they were even quite abusive. And uh, so the client might then meet somebody for the first time who actually is loving, who actually does have a deep capacity for expressing their love. And, and so what happens there is that the client begins to go, oh, so that's what love looks like. Well, that's what that chapter is doing for us. It's, it's saying, here, here's what love looks like. Here's what it really looks like. And this defines you. Because in that same book, he, uh, uh, the author, and some people say it's Paul, and, and uh, whatever you think about him is fine. But uh, the author of that uh, letter to the, for, to the Corinthians says that um, we are we're, – so the greatest of these is love, faith, hope, love. What that's saying is you can have all the faith you want. You can have all the hope you want. You can live your life in trying to work the law of attraction with all the faith and hope you've got. But the biggest deal is love because guess what? You are love. And later in that same letter, he says, we see in a mirror dimly, but later we shall see clearly who we are. That's my translation of what he says. But what he's saying is, you will see that you're love one day. You will be consumed completely in the love of the divine because that's who you are. That's what that chapter is really telling us. So there's no should. There is no you should be patient because that's the loving thing to do. When we start doing that, we start repressing what we're really feeling. And then we don't know what we're, what's really going on. We can't really even solve our problems. We need to be able to sit with our feelings long enough to know. So that's a part, believe it or not, of the kingdom of heaven. And we're going to be talking more about that in just a few minutes, so stay tuned for that. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Every moment that we live provides us with numerous opportunities to grow more deeply spiritually through our active engagement in positive, concrete ways that can uplift, encourage, and help ourselves and each other. Become a part of Our Sacred Journey with your host, Audrey Katagawa. Our program will include guests who will share their experiences with you to inspire you to help create a peaceful, cooperative present and future and to explore your creativity and the valuable contributions which you can make. 
Our Sacred Journey airs live Mondays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific on 7th Wave. Healing from the Heart is the show that focuses on freeing the heart by releasing the hidden energies that keep it from doing what the heart was created to do, give and receive love. Every week, your host, Chris Chimbers, an energetic healing practitioner, will explore different aspects of his work, interview leading healers, respond to listeners' questions, and even do some live sessions on air. Tune in Thursdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific, for Healing from the Heart on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. There's a course offered on 7th Wave Network that you never saw offered in college. One that provides information on how to transform ancient wisdom teachings into everyday life. You'll learn how to create from your spirit and explore the world with all of your senses. Participation is encouraged. Enroll in Spirituality 101, the course you can't afford to miss with your host, Reverend Norma. Class is in session every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time, in your favorite classroom, 7th Wave Network. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Be extraordinary. Be the change. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free. 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And the Authentic Living Show is sponsored by the American Institute of Holistic Theology. You may wonder what the terms holistic theology mean. Well, theology is the study of the divine, and holistic theology is a holistic study of the divine that includes all religions and even transcends religions to get to the mystical core of them all. The American Institute of Holistic Theology offers doctorate, master's, and ministerial bachelor's degrees, chaplaincy programs with internship, NBCC-approved continuing education hours, and a brand-new Ph.D. program in holistic theology. AIHT's programs include degrees in the following, Holistic Theology, offering as terminal degrees both a THD and a PhD, Holistic Ministries, Holistic Health and Spiritual Care, Metaphysical Spirituality, and Alternate Spiritual Traditions, which includes in-depth studies of the paranormal. Using a home study model for distance learning, the student of AIHT gets a thorough education in the field that fulfills and offers a chance to authenticate a unique gift for the world. AIHT is a real educational program where you will get a real learning experience in a broad spectrum of educational endeavors, utilizing, as your text-writing teachers, spiritual experts from all over the world. And right now, AIHT is running a special program in which if you email in before July 1st, you can get a free course. Just email beverlylove at aiht.edu and make Win a Free Course your subject. If your letter's drawn, you will win a free course to check out the quality of the work you will do at AIHT. The big deal is that facilitating your dream is AIHT's mission. All you have to do to enroll is either go to www.aiht.edu 
or contact Admissions Director Beverly Love at 800-650-4325. Again, if you'd like to enroll right now, pick up the phone and call 800-650-4325. Within you are countless magnificent achievements to be discovered and fulfilled. Let AIHT open the door to your magnificence. So we're talking today about that very magnificence. We're talking about how we can enter the kingdom of heaven right now. And not just enter it, but inhabit it. Live in it. So, okay. In Western traditions, and especially since each person is believed to have only one shot at life, the end of all suffering can only occur once we've left this mortal coil. But in all cases, the end of suffering is the ultimate goal of heaven. Unlike some of the more complicated Eastern systems, the Western is quite simple. You do good or you get forgiven, or you go to heaven when you die. You do bad or refuse to get forgiven, and you go to hell. Simple. Black and white. Very Western. The only problem is that I'm hard put to find that anywhere in the Bible. Here are some of the ways that Jesus described heaven. The kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there. For indeed, the kingdom of God is in your midst. That's from Luke seventeen twenty through 21. Here's another one. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed tares also among the wheat and went away. But when the wheat sprang up and bore grain, then the tares became evident also. And the slaves of the landowner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. And the slave said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, No, lest while you're gathering up the tares you may root up the wheat with them. Allow both to grow together until the harvest. And in the time of the harvest I will say to the reapers, First gather up the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them up. But gather the wheat into my barn. That's from Matthew 13, 24, 30. And there's one more. Well, actually, there's two more I want to read you. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, and this is smaller than all other seeds. But when it is full grown, it's larger than the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. And that's from Matthew 13, 31 through 32. And here's the last one. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three pecks of meal until it was all leavened. That's Matthew 13 as well in, in uh, verse 33. So there's a lot more of these. but and, and the reason I'm using the ones from the Bible is because those are the ones that are most often quoted. I could also use uh, texts from the sutras, from the Bhagavad Gita. Uh, I could use them from other texts around the world. But uh, this, th- these texts are the ones that are very often quoted, particularly in the Western world, to tell us that heaven is out there somewhere and... Um, and we try to translate these these uh, parables in some fairly literal terms. So, the first of these statements is not, though, a parable. It's a very direct statement that the kingdom of heaven can be found within us. The single word for the phrase, in your midst, is entos in the Greek language, which means within, inside, or in your soul. So, once and for all, let's suspend the notion that heaven is an external place to which we go after we die. For here... Without the use of parable, Jesus is clearly telling us where we can find heaven. That's important. The kingdom of heaven is inside of us. It's, it's within us, inside of us, or in our souls. 
So then when Jesus also speaks about heaven in parable, it, it takes on sort of a poetic tenor. Each of these parables speaks not of place, but of process. The first speaks from a metaphysical interpretation of the fact that the kingdom of heaven was part of our origin. The man sowed good seed. That speaks of origin. We were originally planted in the Garden of Eden, which is described as our internal awareness of ourselves as divine beings. So uh, the Garden of Eden was when we knew who we were. But because of the duality trans-state, as I said, tares grow right along with the wheat. And these tares must eventually be weeded out, differentiated, as Carl Jung talks about the process of differentiation that leads to integration, and thrown into the fire. Now, I'm going to come back to that fire in a minute, so stay tuned for that. But there is this growth and this gathering up that speaks of process, not place. And since we know that the kingdom of heaven is within, we can also know now that this process, this evolution is also within us. There's an origin, a growing of wheat and tares, the growth of each, a decision about what to do about them, and a gathering of wheat and tares, i.e. a process of evolution. It is this evolution that actually describes the kingdom of heaven. So then the second parable tells us that the kingdom of heaven may only be experienced as a tiny spark of awareness within us, but eventually it will grow so big that even the birds of the field will be able to build their nests in it. The birds of the field represent transcendent thoughts that will be able eventually to inhabit that tree. So as I said a little while ago, we are now on a planet where thought exists. Prior to that, we didn't have thought. There wasn't thought. It was uh, beingness. So, you know, people talk about meditation as a time when we sort of suspend thinking and move to a, a, a more, uh, a place where we're in touch with that sort of essence, that deep down essential beingness that we are. And we don't think so much there. So, but when we came to planet Earth, of course, since we were doing this grand experience with duality, we also, duality, we had to consider thoughts that could tell us we were separate from the divine. So, but this tree now is a tree that actually can think thoughts, but they are transcendent thoughts. And those thoughts can uh, inhabit that tree, just like we can inhabit heaven. So, we might say that's the tree of life in the Garden of Eden. But it's, it's a, um, an essential thought that is transcendent, that inhabits that little tiny seed that later became a tree. So that, again, speaks of process. It speaks of growth. It speaks of um, something that was once not so big and becomes really big and therefore can inhabit, uh, the, the transcendent thoughts can inhabit it. So, so there, there's some more growth. There's, again, a process there. The third parable tells us that the kingdom of heaven is like leavened bread, which, even when it's divided, will grow until all of it is leavened. Now, that's a strange analogy, given the fact that Jewish people ate only unleavened bread, and he was speaking to Jewish people. They thought it was a sin to eat leavened bread, but that's exactly why Jesus used this analogy. He meant to say that what we expect to be true will not necessarily end up being true. So is it possible that what appears to be sin to us is just another way in which the kingdom of heaven is evolving within us? I say yes. Can even our sins be our teachers? Absolutely. For most, that idea feels like a big stretch. But 
what we learn from this parable is that this kingdom is constantly growing. Not only that, but even through our divisions, even through our separations, the kingdom of heaven continues to grow within us. That's pretty big. That's pretty big stuff. It's important to note that in the same chapter of Matthew uh, that we got the parables from, he also speaks of why he speaks in parables. So he says this in 13, same chapter we got the last two ideas about heaven from, chapter 13, 13 through 15. Therefore, I speak to them in parables because while seeing they do not see and while hearing they do not hear. In their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled, which says, You will keep on hearing, but you will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull. With their ears they scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they would see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and return, and I would heal them. So, basically what he's saying there is, because these people are entranced with duality, they can't hear this stuff. So, when we when we think about how this could be translated, we might be it might, some of it might be falling on deaf ears, and that's okay. These parables are metaphors, which should be interpreted as metaphors. When we interpret them literally, we hear and see without hearing and seeing. And it does appear that this is exactly what we've done with words like heaven and hell, because if we look at the root language of the word Jesus used for heaven, it is Uranus. The vaulted expanse of the sky with all things visible in it, the universe, the region where the clouds and tempests gather, where thunder and lightning are produced, the seat of the order of things eternal, where God dwells and other heavenly beings. Nothing in that definition says that heaven is a place we go to after we die. As we've seen from Jesus' parables, heaven is within us. It's growing, evolving process within us. And if we put that together with the meaning of this word, we find that this growing, evolving process within us is also the seat of the order of things eternal in our lives. This means that our lives are constantly being ordered by our souls, by divine self, by I am that I am, by the Christ nature, by the Buddha nature, whatever you want to call that deep essence, by heaven within But that's not all. We also see that from this growing, evolving seed of the order of things eternal, all things are visible. All things includes both duality and oneness. And so it is that the word is further rooted in oros, which means a mountain, another place of strong and majestic transcendence from which we can see all things. So heaven is not described here as an external place at all, but rather an internal place in which both wheat and tares grow, in which both visibility and clouds originate, in which we originate and in which we evolve as the seed of the order of things eternal makes decisions about our lives. And this process allows us to see all things. And ultimately, heaven will completely overtake the mind of humanity so that even our most transcendent thoughts can inhabit that earthly consciousness. So, in other words, heaven is our evolving awareness of who we are as those divine beings we were originally. When we, as Elohim, recreated ourselves as form, the evolution is in the recognition of form as divine beingness. So, heaven encompasses our entire evolutionary process. It enfolds us so that we are never without it. It's the very soul of who we are. But unlike our previous versions of the soul as just a tiny little part of us, this soul is actually analogous to the egg white. While the life of in duality is the yoke that will grow into a fully evolved awareness, 
Rather than being a tiny pinpoint of spirit through which we might ultimately find some kind of truth, it's the truth that always surrounds and encompasses us even as we lie to ourselves. Rather than being a part of the human psyche which can be damaged and must need healing, it's actually the ultimacy of who we are. That though we may not know who we are, we nevertheless are. The soul is our divine nature, and heaven and soul are synonymous terms. Now, we got to come back to that fire, and we are going to do that in the next uh, few minutes. But right now, what I want to just do is read this part to you from what we saw earlier, Matthew thirteen thirty nine through 40. The enemy who sowed them, which is the tares, is the devil. And the harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Therefore, just as the tares are gathered up and burned with fire, so it shall be at the end of the age. Now, that's what we interpret traditionally to mean, uh-oh, there is some time coming in the future when all these people who have been bad, who haven't accepted uh, uh, whatever ritual they're supposed to perform, whatever prayers they're supposed to pray in order to enter the kingdom of heaven, well, they're in trouble. But let's look at it again. Um, what the phrase end of the age means in uh, in uh, Greek is santaleia, which means consummation. And it's rooted in that word that Jesus spoke on the Sermon on the Mountain, Mount when he said that we would be perfect. It's telio, which means finished, fulfilled, completed. So, and that word is rooted in I, which means perpetually, incessantly, invariably, at any and every time. It does not mean eternally like some futuristic eternity. It means all the time, constantly. It's always happening. We are constantly being consumed in, in our own perfection. We are constantly becoming more and more complete. That is what he's describing as the kingdom of heaven. So, um, when we talk about that end time, what, what Jesus was trying to say is that constant consummation has also to do with that burning, that fire that he talked about, which we interpret to mean hellfire and damnation where everybody's going to go to hell who doesn't do the right ritual or perform the right deeds or love enough or be kind enough, etc., etc. So... Uh, Jesus explains his parables to his disciples, and, and he does appear to be telling us about some kind of torment. So I'm going to read this verse to you, and I'm going to come back to it after the break. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom, key words, they will gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness, and will cast them into the furnace of fire. In that place there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. The one who has ears, let him hear. And again, the most important sentence in that paragraph is the last one. The one who has ears, let him hear. So when Jesus spoke in parables, it was because those who would hear could not really hear, and those who could see could not really see. And I don't know whether he thought that that was going to continue uh, to allow us the duality translate, or whether it was going to help us look at the parables and see better. But either way, We sometimes don't hear, but we are going to hear right after this break. So stay tuned. We'll be right back to talk about hell. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. 
If you were looking to shift from struggle to a life of alignment with your deepest truth, you'll want to tune in to Thresholds to Awakening with host Sway Emily Spilkin. Our program will help you discover that your deepest challenges are not mistakes, but opportunities to become who you really are. Thresholds to Awakening. Enter your darkness to find your light, where Sway speaks with spiritual luminaries, cutting-edge thought leaders, and experts in the field of transformation. Listen live every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Many of us make choices in our lives based on how others react. But what should really matter is making our life choices based on what we intuitively feel. By tuning in to The Mystic and the Mystery with Inspired Intuition hosts Beth Porozhik and Christine McIver, you'll receive the tools and inspiration you need to do just that. Your fears do not have to drive you, and you are naturally intuitive, creative, and whole. By believing in yourself, you can live the life you've been longing for. Listen for The Mystic and the Mystery, every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Being Here with Ariel and Shia Kane is an ordinary person's guide to modern-day enlightenment. This show is an exciting exploration which opens the door to living in the moment. Don't miss Being Here. Tune in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 noon Eastern with Ariel and Shia Kane, right here on the 7th Wave Network. Invite meaning and inspiration to your life. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And I want you to stay tuned, and if just a little bit, we're going to hear some uh, some clips from the Super Soul Sunday sh- show that's coming up this Father's Day, where Oprah Winfrey interviews an NBA championship coach and New York Times bestselling author Phil Jackson. So you want to stay tuned for that. Uh, but in the meantime, I want to talk about hell. I know that's a difficult topic, but in order to talk about heaven the way it's typically referred to, we also have to talk about its opposite, which we consider to be um, a place of damnation that's eternal where we are not allowed to associate with the divine anymore. So what we said is that the root language of some of the verses that we most use in, um, in the New Testament to, convi- to con- convince other people that heaven is a place out there to which we should go after we die, only if we do certain rituals, and that hell is another place that we'll go if we die, when we die if we don't do those rituals or prayers. And um, that is a very literalized transformation. Uh, translation of these verses that are meant to be parables, in other words, poetic metaphorical messages from the divine about what's really true. So we said that what was going to happen was Jesus uh, sort of prophesied, or at least that's what we think he did, that there was going to be this time when 
the uh, in the end when all the tares would be gathered up and thrown into the furnace. And uh, we said that the end time is not an end time at all. It's an, a continuous process of evolution. Uh, that's what the root language word means. And uh, this furnace that these tares are going to be thrown in, that word in Greek is kaminos, which is a place for smelting or burning earthenware or baking bread. Now, that's pretty plain. The word does not indicate internal punishment, but change, transformation. And that smelting is the process of producing a metal from its core. Burning earthenware finishes the process of creating the plate, the bowl, or the vase. And when we bake bread, we finish the process started with a recipe. But that's not all. Kaminos is rooted in kaio, which means to set on fire, to light, burning, to burn, to consume with fire. Now, uh, that word seems seen to go, oh my gosh, well, maybe they're talking about hell. The furnace, the furnace is a furnace of fire, which the word is pure, while burning up or consuming by fire is the katakayo, to burn up, consume by fire, rooted in kata, which means down from, throughout, according to, or toward, and in kayo, which we've already said means to set on fire, to light, burning, to burn. So there's three important things we need to know about this consuming fire first. When this gospel was written, there was no other form of light but fire. That's the first thing we need to keep in mind. In Hebrews twelve twenty nine, God is described as a consuming fire. And in uh, John 4, 8, we learn that God is love. So if we put all that together, which we have to do when we're trying to get a definition of who God is, uh, we can conclude that if God is both consuming fire and love, and fire is not only consummation but light, then God is all-consuming love and light. That means that the perpetual consummation that is occurring within us is one that gathers up aspects of ourselves in order to consume them in this love and light. But what's even more significant, if we open our minds to it, is he tells us that all these stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness will be gathered out of his kingdom. The word is ek, which is a primary preposition denoting origin, out of or from. In other words, the stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness were living in the kingdom of heaven when they were gathered. That means that the stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness, like those tares, are growing inside of us where the kingdom of heaven is. They're not people. They're parts of us. And just as the tares are gathered up and burned with fire, so shall it be in the perpetual consummation. In other words, these stumbling blocks and lawbreakers exist within us as individuals, and they're being ever consumed in the all-consuming love of the divine nature in which they already exist. And they'll be gathered together or joined, perhaps even married, to throw them into this furnace of fire in which they will be smelted, made into metal from their core essence, made into beautiful earthenware, and baked as bread. In other words, they will be transformed into their deepest, truest essence. And in another place, we find that um, he says that uh, somebody comes to a wedding and um, they aren't dressed correctly and they're to be bound and thrown out and uh, they're going to be gnashing of teeth when, they, when that happens. Well, um, that, that whole idea is one where we go, oh, no, wait, wait, wait. You can't deny that there's a hell when you talk about gnashing of teeth, right? You can't talk about um, suffering, hell. Yeah, those are pretty equivocal terms. But here, the word for bind is dio, a word that means to bind, to put under obligation, but also to bind as a husband to his wife. Interesting. 
when we think about Jung's definition of, of uh, integration. Um, and then cast into the outer world is exteros, which is rooted in exo, which means without, out, out of, forth, outward, strange, or away. And that's rooted in ek, which we previously talked about as origin. So uh, we're going to talk about what that means after these clips we heard. We're going to hear from uh, Oprah's upcoming Super Soul Sunday, this Father's Day. Uh, in which Oprah's going to sit down with NBA championship coach and New York, New York Times bestselling author Phil Jackson to discuss his latest memoir, Eleven Rings, The Soul of Success. He's the son of two Pentecostal ministers and was groomed to follow in his parents' footsteps. Using the game of basketball as an escape, he would soon find his true calling on the court. While att- attending the University of North Carolina on a basketball scholarship, he expanded his own beliefs and started experimenting with Christian mysticism, Native American rituals, and Zen meditation. Incorporating these principles into his coaching, Jackson led the Chicago Bulls and the Los Angeles Lakers to a combined 11 championships and is hailed as one of the greatest NBA coaches in history. During this candid conversation, Jackson is going to open up to Oprah about his strict religious upbringing and his own spiritual quest. He also explains how he uses meditation and other mindful approaches to help some of the league's biggest superstars play with clarity, focus, and calm. And also on this week's Super Soul Sunday uh, breathing space, they visit the serene shores of Montana's Flatland Lake, one of the places Jackson feels most at home. So watch on OWN or online, Sunday at 11 a.m., ET or PT, Eastern Time or Pacific Time. So uh, right now we have a couple of clips from the show. The first one is going to be uh, where uh, the coach talks about ego, and the second one is going to be where he's talking about the spiritual nature itself, and that is relevant to our conversation today. So stay tuned for these right now. Did you not also have them play in the dark at one point? It wasn't totally dark, but I wanted them to get the idea of being able to do things that are just out of the ordinary, like silence day. You have a day of just silence. There's a lot of chatter in basketball, and rightfully, you want players to be talking to each other and communicating with each other. But sometimes in practice, it gets too too verbose, and guys are yelling and having fun with each other and teasing each other. So I tried to take things out of the ordinary and make them something special so they'd understand the difference. How, you know, you, you talk about this idea of mindfulness and being centered and coming back to self in a field where the very nature of the game <laughs> uh, fosters the ego. I mean, you and, talk about benching the ego in, yeah. in, in, in 11 Rings and how important that is as a step to bench that ego. But in a world where, and particularly for those of, of us on the outside world, it just looks like, I mean, that's a world filled with a lot of, not just big, but tall egos. Yeah. <laughs> for sure. And money. And, and, and money, money is there. And, you know, we have a you know salary cap and everybody's trying to reach the maximum salary cap. And there's all these very many great pressures on these young men to really serve themselves because they're thinking it's my family. I'm looking yes. after my group, my family, my mom, my dad, and you know, they want to provide and you have to forget about the family, your contract, where you're going to be next year. The fact that you're not guaranteed, 
All these things have to be set aside and we have to be in the moment. You have yes. to be now. You know, I think that there is spirituality in all things. I can see the sacred in the ordinary things, but I don't think most people, and a lot of them probably who are talking to you about this book, never thought of the spiritual nature of the game of basketball. What is that spiritual nature? Wow, it's such a great community that you have when you play the sport, especially if you get to play it at a high level. Yeah. That there's this, you know, this is what spirit core, the word exactly comes from, that there's a spirit among this connected group, a connected yes. group of people. Yeah. And this spirituality is not about religion, of course. It's about the ability to incorporate other beings in your plans, in your system. Uh-huh. And my best nature also elevates their nature. And basketball or sports does this. It does this for us as as watchers, too, as spectators. We see something that you know, is a remarkable play, and we, we want to see it over and over again because it brings an elevated spirit to us that this was not just an individual action. But you say some coaches are obsessed with winning trophies. Others like to see their faces on TV. What moves me is watching young men bond together and tap into the magic that arises when they focus with their whole heart and soul on something greater than themselves. Once you've experienced that, it's something you never forget. That is the spirituality you're talking about. Yes, it is. And yes, it is. That is the spirituality we are talking about. So I want to say again, Oprah's show, Super Soul Sunday, is one of the best that I've ever watched because it is so filled with wise, insightful information. And uh, so I really uh, urge you to watch that show Sunday morning. Uh, 11 a.m. Eastern and Pacific Time. So we were talking about hell. <laughs> and and what that means, actually, is it is a process of um, becoming more and more true to who we actually are as divine beings. So I said there was a story. I'm going to tell this real quickly, and then we're going to have to go today. Um, the story is about a wedding. Uh, it's found. The story is found in Matthew 22. It's about the king's son is getting married, and there's somebody who comes to the wedding feast, and he's not wearing the right clothes. The king tells his slaves, "Bind him hand and foot, and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth." And that's one of the verses we translate to mean hell. But as I said, the word "bind" can be considered to be the binding of a wedding, the binding of a husband to his wife. Um, and the outer is exteros, which means outside, and uh, and is rooted in exo, which means without, out of, forth, out of, forth, onward, stranger, away. And then there's darkness, and that word is skotos, which means darkness of night, of of darkened insight or eyesight or blindness, ignorance respecting divine things <clears throat> or persons, in whom darkness becomes visible and holds sway. It's rooted in the primary word skia, which means shadow, shade, caused by the interception of light. Or more literally, an image cast by an object and representing the form of that object. So in the human psyche, where do we find our origins? We find them in the unconscious, where we find our divine essence. But also we find the shadow there, where we've thrown a bunch of things in there that really have to do with the interception of light. What The only reason we can have a shadow is because there's so much light. 
And uh, so many fundamentalists and traditional Christians talk about that spark of the divine within us. They refer to God as one God. Well, that's what's happening. We're becoming one person. We're becoming that person. And when we're thrown, when the tares are thrown into the fire and burned up, they're actually consumed in divine love. They're consumed in the essence of who they are as divine beings. So this darkness that we get thrown into, and we do get thrown into that darkness again and again in our lives, is a facilitator of our awakening. It is meant to help us awaken. And guess what? It is within the kingdom of heaven. So do you know what that means? That means that you are already inhabiting heaven right now. And what that means is that you can't not live in heaven. You can't. The, the only problem is, the only issue is whether or not you're aware of it. And that is where we come down to that thing that uh, the coach was just talking about, the ego and the, and the spiritual uh, life. What it is to sort of commit yourself to really that deepest essence, that deepest core of who you are. Not commit yourself to some behaviors that make you good, but to commit yourself to that essence of who you are as a divine being. So that is the nature, and that is what it is to inhabit heaven now. And we can talk about this some more, but next week we are we are going to be talking to Robert Masters. A wonderful author who has written uh, a book and has now done an audio book on emotional intimacy. And uh, he also talked about a spiritual bypassing in another book that he had. So we're going to be talking about all of that next week. You don't want to miss that. It's going to be really good. I love his work. Um, and remember, your job, should you choose to accept it, is to give birth to that self that is your divine nature. That's what Inhabiting Heaven Now is really all about. Talk to you next week. Thanks again for listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Join us again next Wednesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern Time here on the 7th Wave Network. We'll talk again next week.